0: And the rest of us this morning are going to at least begin, as we prepare to study God's Word together, begin by thinking about whether or not Christianity is about belief or behavior. Think about that with me, if you would, for a moment or so. Is Christianity about belief or is it about behavior? When I say Christianity, I mean... Genuine Christianity, not cultural Christianity, the real thing, uh, what Jesus wanted, designed. That's what we're pursuing. Is it about belief or is it about behavior? And I see some of you saying both or trick question. Um, I'm not trying to be trick tricky this morning, uh, but it really is a big and important question that Christians have grappled with. Uh, denominations have started and Split over and really is important. Is it about belief or is it about behavior? And I, because I believe the Bible is true, um, because I'm a Protestant, uh, and I think the Protestant Reformation happened for a good reason in recovering the gospel, I would suggest to you that first and foremost, Christianity is about belief. Belief. And then it is about behavior. But when we confuse the two, we get ourselves in trouble. When we collapse the categories, we get ourselves in trouble. But when we don't have both, we get ourselves in trouble. Christianity, first and foremost, is about belief. Belief means trust, depend upon. Uh, there's a reason why uh, Christians have typically uh, symbolized their religion by a cross uh, and not a mirror right? It's about trusting in the finished work of Jesus. That's why a cross is so helpful. That's why the Apostle Paul said he uh, chose and resolved to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It was, it was cross-centric. It wasn't centered on the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2. So we are a belief religion. Uh, first and foremost, we're talking about what someone else did for us, that Jesus lived a perfect life, Uh, became one of us, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death on behalf of everyone who would ever believe and was raised from the dead so that everyone who would trust in Him, it's a belief religion, uh, whoever, whoever would believe in Him would have eternal life. First and foremost, if we don't have that, we don't have Christianity. But we're definitely a behavior religion. Because Jesus himself said, and I quote, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you belong to me, if you have love for one another. Ah, behavior. You belong to Jesus, you're a disciple, and you're supposed to behave a certain way because you belong to a certain Savior. So we're going to study 1 John chapter 2 this morning into chapter 3. So the very end of chapter 2 into chapter 3. um, And we're going to hear a strong emphasis on the behavior side of things. That if you're a Christian, you are not called to live like a non-Christian. You're called to live like a follower of Christ. What's so helpful is... We've gotten a big dose of belief, right? That Christ is the righteous. And that He propitiated the wrath of God. Big word. He made atonement for our sins so we could be forgiven and be reconciled to God. Belief about Him so you can have assurance. And based upon that, we're also called to live a certain way in light of now belonging to Jesus, and now that emphasis is going to be there. And we know this, if Christianity really and truly is about belief and behavior, and authentic Christianity is about belief and behavior, in that order, false teachers, deceivers, false prophets, which is what John is dealing with, will try to say otherwise. Maybe it'll be, it's all about behavior. Maybe it's a mixture of the two, as I like to say, gospel. Right, Or maybe it's only belief and it has nothing to do with your behavior. And John is helping us as a pastor to be able to think the right way that we are to believe in Christ and then we're to live in a way that shows we belong to Christ. And don't listen to people who would tell you otherwise is where John's coming from. And I'll remind you, it's a book about assurance. It's a book about, he emphasizes it so much, knowing things. You've got to know this is true about Jesus. You've got to know this is true about who you are if you're a Christian. And you've got to know that you're supposed to live a certain way. And if you know these things, you can be sure of something. And that's that you belong to God. No matter what Joe Schmo or whoever else. I use people's names and then I get myself in trouble. Sorry to all the Joes. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter who they are. It's just helpful that we have from an apostle. One who was with Jesus. Remember, an apostle is one who speaks with the authority of the one that are an, an apostle of. So John knows what he's talking about. So I don't have an outline for you this morning. If you'd like your money back, um, you can do that. Uh, just go to the bookstore afterward. Not really. I think an outline would get in the way this morning. So we're not going to do an outline. We're going to look at verses 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, and it will probably go rather quickly. How about verse 28 where it says, And now, little children, abide in Him. Abide in Jesus. Abide means remain. Abide means continue. Stay there. Okay? Okay? So if you're believing in Jesus for your salvation, earlier he just talked about for eternal life. If you're believing in Jesus for eternal life, you're trusting in Him, you think He's the authority, so you're going to listen to Him, stay there. Don't listen to the false teachers who are going to try to tell you otherwise. Keep on staying with Jesus. Little children, abide in Him. Here's why. Keep reading. So that when He appears we may have confidence. There's an assurance word, right? We may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Chapter 2, verse 18, it talked about the last hour. Yeah, Jesus is coming back. So if you want to look forward to that day and not be afraid of that day, of what might happen and be shameful or ashamed, what does he say? He says, stay right there. Abide in the real, historic, genuine Jesus, the one I've been telling you about, John is saying. The one who makes atonement. The one who is the righteous. The one who you belong to. And he's going to now unpack that. And he's also going to tell us he's the one you're supposed to listen to. Abide in his teaching, his instruction. Now he explains this abiding. Let's keep going. Let's keep knowing things so we can have assurance and we can share this assurance with other people. 29. If you know that he is righteous, do we? Yeah, we know that he's righteous. Chapter 2 verse 1. Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the law keeper. He did everything perfectly right. If we know that He is righteous, oh, and we do, because He's already told us about that. We know that He is righteous. He's the one that pleased God on our behalf. You may be sure, ah, there's another confidence assurance where you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. This isn't rocket science now. This is pretty straightforward. And if you're a Christian, you say, I know he's righteous. He's my righteousness. He's my substitute. His, You want to be fancy, pretend like this is theology class? His righteousness has been credited to me. It's been imputed to me into my spiritual bank account. So now when Pat sees Pat, or when God sees Pat, talk about being dyslexic this morning. When God sees Pat, I'm acceptable because it's as if I did all the right things because Jesus Christ is the righteous. Belief! And now John is connecting dots for us. Behavior. He's not collapsing collapsing the categories, but he's showing that they're necessarily related. So that when... Uh, excuse me. That everyone who practices, verse 29, righteousness has been born of Him. Now if you need to be brought up to speed a little bit, there's some... You know important words, uh, significant Christian words that we don't always use. Uh, righteous is a law word. It's uh, it means to uphold the law, to uphold the commandment. Okay. That's why when the Bible says we're justified, we're declared righteous, we're declared to be law upholders, even if we're not. Uh, We know from Jesus in Luke chapter 10, if we want to summarize God's commandments, summarize God's law, uh, it's summarized by loving God, loving neighbor. And so when we put the pieces together, it's not that complicated as long as we're willing to learn these things and know basic things. We believe that Jesus is the righteous, the law fulfiller, the law upholder. He loved God and loved neighbor perfectly. That's credited to us. But now we're learning that if that's true for us and we've been born of Him, we belong to Him by faith, we should be law upholders. We should be those who seek to, again, I'm going to let Jesus interpret this for us. We should be people who really and genuinely truly do love God and love neighbor. It's pretty straightforward. We should be the kind of people that want to do what God says. Who is born of him? Our text says the one who's born of him practices righteousness. Hmm. Like I said, it's not rocket science. I mean, if you want to put theological categories on this, sometimes it's helpful. John the Apostle is not a legalist. We learned that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He would believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But John the Apostle is not an antinomian, to use the $15 word. The anti-law guy. So he's not into legalism. Let's use isms. I like using isms. It's not legalism, because we've learned he is our righteousness. He's the one who makes atonement for us. But he's also not... And it's not antinomianism that says, you know what, as long as you believe in Jesus, you can just keep living like you used to live and it doesn't really matter. No, it's not that. We're supposed to know these things. He wants us to know these things. And if you don't like the big $15-ism words, that's fine. Sometimes they're not helpful. He doesn't want you to say you're a Christian and not be seeking to act like Christ and showing love. That's what he's getting at. Now, I think what happens here is in the opening three verses of chapter 3, he takes a related break. And it's not the first time John's done this. He's going to get back to that other issue. But I think for three verses, what he's going to do is remind you and remind me of just how great we've got it. Just how amazing God's love for us is. We were singing about it some this morning, it made me think of this passage. So he's dealing, he's now dealing with behavior, and he's gonna keep dealing with behavior, but for three verses, he is gonna get you ready for the long jump, so to speak. Right? He's gonna call you to love other people, and he's gonna call you to do the right thing, but it's not in isolation. He's going to remind you for three verses about how awesome the gospel is and how great God's love for you has been and what God has done for you. And now all of a sudden you realize that you actually can live differently in light of the gospel. So let's go ahead and look at those encouraging, motivating, amazing statements in verses 1 to 3. See. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. It's awesome. This is great. Especially given that we're sinners. Remember in chapter 1, people who say they don't have sin, are they're liars. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone is a law breaker. Everyone has violated God's standard. No one has loved God and loved neighbor perfectly. And now he's saying, but so as I'm going to call you to act the right way, let me just remind you about how amazing God's love for you has been. See this. Look at this. Meditate on this. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are children of God. We belong to God and we, we, we ought not based upon our own standing. This is impressive. Let's keep going in verse 1 the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Maybe that's in there because people are thinking, you know what, I, I, I think life is kind of terrible. And the, the false teachers seem to have better friendships than I have. But he gives an explanation for that. But then how about verse 2? Beloved, we are, I like it that he said that already, we are, now he says it again, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared so so it's the now it's the now it's the now and it's great now but it's even going to be better and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know, again, this confidence business of assurance, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. This should float your boat. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself and we don't know what that means. This is that kind of thing. In the context of challenging you if you're a husband, wife, dad, child, employee, employer, enemy, citizen, wherever you are. If you're a Christian, he, hes it's in the context of challenging you to do the right thing you should love, including your enemies. And it's hard. And in that context, he's saying, now you need to stop and remember the reality that is yours in Christ. And God's love for you is extraordinary. And it's something you've benefited from here and now. Oh, but by the way, because of what Christ has done for you, it's going to be better. Because when you see Christ, at His return, you'll be made like Him doesn't mean you're going to become the fourth person of the Godhead. It means you're going to be perfected. You're going to become perfectly righteous. Right now you're positionally righteous because you've been declared righteous. Justification. But then you're you're actually no longer going to struggle. You you will actually actually be practically righteous. You will be, uh, to use a different term from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, but talking about the same thing, you'll be glorified. And it hasn't happened yet, but John is saying it's going to happen if you are a child of God to the point where the Apostle Paul puts it in the past tense and says glorified. This is, this is a great, 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 great promise. It's important that we know that it hasn't happened yet. It's why life is a struggle in the here and now. Even to love and to act righteously. But a day is coming when it won't be a struggle anymore. So, hopefully, you've noticed. Um, I didn't talk about being resurrected, but that's all involved in that too. I mean, these are promises for us. We see Christ will be made like Him. We're resurrected, glorified, new bodies, no longer struggling. Not only does Paul speak of it in the past tense; Isaiah, the prophet, speaks of it in the past tense. By His stripes, you are healed. He uses it in the past, but it's actually looking to the future when you see Christ and you're made like Him. This is what we're waiting for, but it's guaranteed that if you're a child of God now, that is going to happen in the then. Before I got distracted I, by myself, did you notice He's talking about things that are already true? And He's talking about things that are not yet true? And that's an important thing to, to know as a Christian. Lots of you know this, some of you don't know this. But Bible teachers like to use those categories. The already and the not yet. Because some things are already. But because of the already, there are things that are sure and yet they're not yet. That's why we have comparisons in those verses. Um, In verse 1, we are, I put a box around that, Uh, In verse 2, now, I put a box around that. But then also in that same verse, not yet. uh, And then also moving on, shall be and shall, but they're inseparable. Child of God, now. But there's a shall be for the children of God. There's a not yet for the children of God. And now I'm off on a total tangent but it is actually related and it matters in your life. When you, when you don't have the distinction between already and not yet you're going to have a very confused Christian experience. And you probably won't have assurance. The charismatic movement is filled with people who don't have categories for already and not yet. And one thing they tend to not have is Assurance. Because God promises me health. And God promises me security. And God promises me all of these things. And you know what? He does. But if you don't have some straightened out categories that the Bible actually gives us, it's confusing. And you know what then? You fall prey to false teachers that say, you just don't have enough faith. It's your fault. And by the way, if you give me more money, maybe then it'll work. John is giving us categories that can give us confidence and assurance. If you are in Christ, those things are surely yours, but they're not yet to be experienced, and they're not experienced till He comes. We'll be like Jesus resurrected, glorified, no longer struggling. Now if I have verses 1 and 2 just locked in my mind and in my heart and you remind me of these things and I remind you of these things and and they're constantly before us, what effect is that going to have? It's going to bolster our confidence, our assurance. It's going to have us worship differently. It's going to have us wanting to live differently. Because this is true. And you know what? Look at verse 3, because that's where he wants us to be. Verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes, confidence in something we don't see yet, he's looking to the return of Christ, who thus hopes in Him, purifies himself as He is pure. Huh. See? See? belief, with right categories, does affect your behavior. It's so good that he does it this way. We need to learn to do it this way instead of just scolding people to behave better. He really does want us to behave. But he gives us these great three verses getting us, and I don't want to say buttering us up, no, He's warming us up to spiritual realities. And when you think in these terms, you know, it has a purifying effect. Because we're ultimately not living for the here and now. There's something better. And His name is Jesus. And with Jesus come many, many great things. It reminds me of the Lord's Supper when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Until he comes again, remembering what he's done, it has a purifying effect. You want to use the the, the religious word? A sanctifying effect. Helps us to grow spiritually. Helps us to be motivated to do the right thing. Oh, let's use those good categories that have been given to us by other believers. It helps us to live lives with gratitude. I belong to Jesus and I want to live for him and honor him. Because he's coming back one day. Here's where I could give you a list. But but I don't need to give you a list. With this kind of thinking, you're called to love God. I don't need to give you a list about that. He says, see these things, and that will lead to that. And not only that, you're called to love other people. Well, I think you can figure out that. Find someone to love and love them. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's pretty practical that He doesn't give us the list. because this affects everything. Okay, now back to the matter of right living as Christians. Because now you're all super motivated, right? You're like ready to go. Just ask anything of me, Lord, because I've got it so good in the here and I've got it so good in the not yet. I'm willing and able and committed to act like I have gratitude and abundance. Just tell me what you'd like me to do. Glad you all feel that way. It's what it's designed to be. Now we're motivated. How about verse 4? Everyone. Well, I made that sound way too positive. Let me start over. Everyone. Who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, and we're supposed to read that and go, uh, "That's that. That's that's not. That's where I'm not supposed to go." If sin is lawlessness, that's the opposite of what I'm supposed to do. And don't get all freaked out or paranoid about when you see the word law. Um, don't, don't think it always means Mosaic law. It doesn't always mean Old Testament. There, there was law from God from the beginning. That's why Romans 2 says the law of God, God is written on everybody's heart, not just the Jews. So it's true. There's the Moses law, the Mosaic law, but there's another kind of law in that Other kind of law has existed from the beginning since there's been a God in creation that we're supposed to love Him and love those who bear His image. That's what He's talking about. Lots of Christians get super confused and they think there's no category for law for us whatsoever and it's no wonder they become antinomian. Sin is lawlessness. And we all agree, if we're Christians, that we have sin. It's violating God's commandments. That's what we don't want to do. We want to love God. We want to love neighbor. Jesus said, you'll know, my, you, you'll know, people will know that you're my disciples because you'll love one another. You'll be law followers, not legalists, but you'll be doing the right thing, wanting to love, which is what His law calls us to do. Oh, man, that, 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 that's, that's a negative in verse 4. Sin is lawlessness. I need to believe in Jesus, but I need to behave because otherwise I'm just lawless. And I know that doesn't honor Him. How about verse 5? You know that He, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. Yeah, we do know that. It was chapter 1 and chapter 2. You know that Jesus, the one you say you believe in if you're a Christian, came to take away sins, take away the, the guilt of lawlessness. And in Him there is no sin. And we know that too if we're Christians. So we know that's true about Jesus. And we say we belong to Jesus. Because we say we're Christians. Keep reading verse 6. No one who abides in Him, continues in Him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. doesn't make sense to say, I believe in Jesus and He is my Lord and my Savior and all the kind of things we say and then just live however you want to live and sin. It just doesn't make sense. A couple helpful quotations. People who belong to Jesus by faith are also those who resultantly seek to obey Him. And this, Jesus came to take away sin. His people, therefore, are not to act in a way that is the exact opposite of Him. I know He's not talking about sinless perfection because He covered that in chapter 1. People who say they have no sin, they're liars. So I'm interpreting these statements in light of that, but I'm taking them... Strongly. Jesus is against sin. Jesus came to take away sin. Pat's all about sin. But he's a Christian. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's not how it's supposed to work. That's why I like that word resultant as well. Little children, verse 7 says, let no one deceive you. Let me ask you, why might he put that in there? Couched, nestled right in this section. Because there's a likelihood, because there's a probability, because there are people who say, believe, behavior, bishmavir. And he says, don't let people deceive you. You believe in Jesus, it doesn't make any sense if you, in your behavior, are against the very things he's for. Don't let people deceive you. It's in a book that talks about many false prophets and the Antichrist. How about verse 7, where it goes on to say, Whoever practices righteousness, that's upholding law, summarized as love, love neighbor, love God. Let's keep it simple. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous. I don't want to rush to say more because the text of Scripture is what's most important. I wrote in my margin, therefore, he or she belongs to Jesus. When you have a conduct, a practice, it shows if you belong to Jesus. Verse 8 whoever takes whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So look at that. Of the devil you belong to the devil. Of Jesus you belong to Jesus. Again, we know he's not talking about sinless perfection. But behavior matters. So when you look at Pat's life, because I'm using myself here, because if I used any of you, then I would be mean. Does Pat look like someone who belongs to Jesus? Not perfected, because he's living in the already, but waiting for the not yet. But does he look like someone who belongs to Jesus, or does he look like someone who belongs to the devil? Don't ask my wife. Ah, maybe you need to ask my wife. Our behavior should reflect a characteristic of us belonging to Jesus. That's what he's getting at. And it's meant to give us confidence. He goes on to say... The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, how about that? I mean, the very reason Jesus came is to destroy the works of the devil. So what in the world are you doing looking like you belong to the devil but you say you're a Christian? This doesn't make sense. Verse 9, No one born of God, back to the born of language, makes a practice of sinning. He's talking about this continuance, even in the way the grammar is translated. Makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. That's more belonging, more family language. That's pretty strong family language. God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I hope you've noticed that repeating theme. Born of, born of, seed abides in child of, he said it so many different times, I think I wrote them all down, children born of him, the Father, children of God, God's children now, born of God, God's seed abides in him, born of God, children of God. What he's getting at is, because of Jesus, and you're united to Jesus by faith, and because of that relationship, you have a new nature. And so, it should show that you have a new nature in behavior. Verse 10 says, By this it is evident, it is obvious, it is clear, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. There he specifies the love thing. (laughs) What do you think? I I suppose some of you are thinking, I don't like this. I suppose some of you are thinking... This is encouraging. My fear is some of you are thinking the wrong way about these words because we haven't sat here and read the whole letter. Don't take my word for it, and we're not going to do it right now, but it is tremendously balanced. Belief. Salvation, let me summarize, is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the perfect, completed, finished work of Christ alone. Abide in Him. Don't listen to those who say it's faith plus works. Faith plus behavior. For acceptance with God. But having been born of God having been become a new creation. If, sorry about the language, but you get the idea. Uh, n- n- new nature. Now, now behave a certain way. And if, and if you're, you're not doing that, it doesn't make sense. It's a, you're, you're, you're a living contradiction. It doesn't make sense at all. And don't be deceived by people who say, oh, it's okay. You can live however you want to live. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. I take you back to Jesus who said, this is how people will know that you belong to me. In other words, this is how you you people will know that you've come to believe in me, because you'll have love. You'll have a certain kind of behavior. I posted, I think, verse ten on Twitter this morning because I was done with my preparation early, and I wanted to be provocative. Because when you read that, that's provocative. It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's a little bit of a gauntlet dropper. And some, a friend of mine responded quickly, where's the nuance? He said something else, and, but, but my response was the nuance is in chapters 1 and 2. And it really is important that we have the nuance. It really is important that we emphasize both in the right order, distinct categories, but real categories nonetheless. Christianity is about believing in Jesus, and it's not about what we do. He is the propitiation for our sins, He satisfied God's just requirements. That's what gets us in the family. New nature. New position. And now we are called, having come to belong to Jesus, by faith we are called to behave a certain way. And we need to make sure we remember that. So now what do we do? What we do is we keep emphasizing this, which he uses to get us ready for the big jump. We keep emphasizing the belief side and how great we have it in the already and in the not yet. And we keep emphasizing this, but in the right order of things, lest we become part of a different kind of religion other than biblical Christianity. Anything else in my notes? I got to check. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love that He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Both are really important. Both are vital. Both are part of Biblical Christianity. But we have this And then we have this result, product, fruit. Let's go ahead and be done. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for a strong exhortation. Thank you for the fact that we grow in grace and we learn more and more and we can read the Bible in its context and not end up being totally confused. May we have confidence about the return of Christ because we've come to believe in him and now we're seeking to be faithful followers of him because of what he has done. Thank you that these things don't come to us because of our own power. Even thinking about the Apostle Paul who says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and we have the Spirit because of the gospel and we're grateful for that reality. As the men and women and boys and girls who are here this morning, myself included, leave here, may we find ourselves going back again and again to the greatness of God's love for us and may that manifest itself in tangible ways in the way that we speak and the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we engage with those around us. We have great opportunities. And I am grateful for the opportunities and for the brothers and sisters who take advantage of them. May people see our actions and not be drawn to us. But may they see our actions and see that we belong to a great Savior. And ultimately, may we be able to tell them that His name is Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.